League of Josh podcast is fortunate enough to be powered by Andrew's Book Company's used books. ABC Books is located underneath the Superstore at 910 Columbia Street West, Kamloops, British Columbia. Filled with an amazing range of quality books, it is also filled with an amazing range of quality people. It's the only place I'll go to buy and sell my books. And also I'll get amazing recommendations from the employees that work there. Go check out ABC Books. Our second sponsor is Bubble Tea Gardens. Located next door to ABC Books underneath the Superstore at 910 Columbia Street West, Kamloops, British Columbia. Bubble Tea Garden is close to the university, insanely cheap for students, and easily the best authentic Chinese food in town. Above all, it is filled with amazing people. Owner Teresa is an amazing, generous woman who glows with kindness and will waste no time in telling you to sit down. Go check out Bubble Tea Garden. Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the League of Josh podcast. For those of you who tuned into the Drew episode, I tell a story of hobbling after a girl to ask her for coffee. I managed to get a hold of her for an episode of the podcast without having to drag my lifeless leg across a field. Akela is an unbelievably cool human being, as is her story. I'll leave it at that. Enjoy. What do you think the biggest stigma in mental health is right now? Yeah, fucking big, broad question that could be answered a million different ways. So many different ways. Yeah. I don't know about the biggest. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll switch that up. But there is one that I've been noticing that comes up. Yeah, okay, let's do it. Recently. So one thing that I've been noticing coming up within mental health is discussions about... Um, it's... Discussing mental health issues if you don't have a mental health issue, which has been coming up recently as far as um, self-diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which has been really interesting because there's a lot of stigma around everything related to mental health. But one thing that I've been noticing is like there's people taking these polar opposite sides of like, I don't know how to explain what I'm saying. You can take your time with it. All right. There's a lot of people that don't have access to resources, mm-hmm. like a doctor. Right. Or general, just mental health resources in general, and they don't necessarily have access to someone who can provide a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've been noticing, especially online, is people getting attacked for using words like depression and anxiety and people just attacking them and being like, where's your proof? Right. And I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, because in a sense, it kind of like shuts down a lot of the conversations that start happening. And that's kind of scary, I think, for a lot of people. But, yeah. Yeah. That's one I, thing I've noticed is like a trend recently that's come up probably in the past few years. Mm-hmm. And I'm not entirely sure where that comes from. And I, I get both sides of it. Because there's people, like, definitely there's terms being overused and generalized and used inappropriately. But there's also another side to people sort of shutting down conversations based on how they view what does and does not qualify someone. Okay, right. Yeah, totally. It's kind of like, when everyone was in elementary and high school and they were like, I love this person. And then like someone like a year older would be like, you don't love them. Get out of here. Yes. 
where yeah i know i totally understand that and that's like when it comes into like the subjective view of like someone's like oh like i feel pretty sad right now like i feel depressed or like i feel anxious and then people are like oh that doesn't exist like anxiety mm-hmm. doesn't exist depression doesn't exist and it's like no you just haven't like felt what this person's feeling yeah. everyone is so different in terms of like how their mind processes things like the physical mm-hmm. morphology of their brain is so different like from person to person like it it like doing more and more research into like really intricate like mental health problems like mm-hmm. like schizophrenic disorders and like parkinson's stuff it's like these people just like regulate dopamine in such a different way they're like how who who am i to say that someone else can't feel that like more often than someone else so, like someone's like oh you're always depressed you're always anxious you're always sad like that's how people are sometimes that's how and and the more that you like fight that and the more that you push that back you're like no you're not no you're not no you're not the more that it, it gets a lot tougher to kind of like come out with that and be like no i am this way i would like help and people and then and then it becomes stigmatized where it's like oh i just like don't want to tell people anymore because then people are going to tell me that i'm not and that i'm and then and then you start to feel crazy that's that's one big thing is like people start to feel like insane crazy because people keep on something wrong with exactly yeah something out of place yeah totally like your mind works a little bit differently and some people function at much higher dopamine and don't get anxiety and don't get like depression or anything and they just like don't it's really difficult if you haven't experienced those things as well because then you're like oh no those are just like made up terms to like make an excuse for you being sad as opposed to like no these are like things that people experience and understanding you might never experience those things but they exist i might never experience being colorblind but it's not like I'm going to go to my roommate Sam and be like, hey, you're not colorblind, idiot. That doesn't exist. I've never experienced it. Therefore, it can't actually be real. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that I think that's like totally like the point you're on is like creating those like stigmas of like, oh, like you experienced this too much. So it, it can't be real. You must be making this up. And yeah, there's like a lot of kind of like. A lot of people trying to call other people out on their bullshit when they really, like, just can't experience the human mind of someone else. It's like trying to experience someone else's memories through you just, like, me telling you of a situation that I've been through and you being like, yeah, I remember how I felt through that. Like, no, you'll never, you'll never be able to say, like, yeah, I felt warm that day that we went to the beach and, like, I'll, I'll, like, tell you about a sunset or something and you can't be like, yeah, it was beautiful, it was amazing. Like, you'll never experience, like the subjective feeling of how I actually felt during that just in the same way. If you're feeling depression or anxiety, like nobody else can feel that for you. And it varies on levels. Like some people get super depressed and super anxious and I'll never be able to feel that. I'll never be able to feel what other people feel. And sometimes it's debilitating. I know people that like can't leave their homes because they just get super depressed, super anxious. Absolutely. And in no way can I say to those people, no, you don't experience that. That doesn't exist. Because to me, that doesn't exist. I, like, I've never experienced, like, crazy... I mean, like, actually, when I was, like, quite young, I would sleep for, like, 16 hours a day. Impressive. It really. was, yeah. I think I, I attribute that to my, my insane growth spurt, is that <laughs> I just slept all day, every day. 
yeah, like I'd get home from school at like f- like three thirty, and I would sleep until eight, go and eat dinner until like nine, hang with my family a little bit, and then go back to sleep until seven, eight. No, like maybe that's why I'm so short then, because I had horrible <laughs> insomnia for like most of my youth. <laughs> How do you? Yeah, so insomnia is something that I find really, really. I, I'd like to say cool because I think like just like meant, like the mind is like a really cool thing to me. But like, how it's, do you how do you experience that and how do you deal with it? Well, I mean, I'm like obviously super ignorant to insomnia because my like because <laughs> you could sleep for sixteen hours a day. Yeah, <laughs> my my insomnia episodes are like after something really really traumatic happens to me, mm. I'll just end up like laying in bed for. And, like, any anytime something, like, really traumatic happens to me, I typically don't dream for, like, a week or two. Really? Yeah, I, I typically have dreams of the traumatic event. Yeah. Like, the people that are involved in it, like, I'll dream of them. And then I'll wake up, and it's this really weird sensation where, like, they're with you, and they're in your mind. And then you wake up, and then life kind of goes from concrete to cement, where you're, like... You turn over and you're like expecting to see them or you're expecting to open your phone to a text or a call and you're like, oh shit, like they're not, they're not here anymore and they're never going to be here again. Yeah. So after about a week of those dreams, then I go into this like rebound of like, I don't dream for like two weeks, three weeks until I kind of figure out to get over it. I've gone like months without dreaming, At at least remembering dreams. I mean... I'm sure everyone does go through your REM cycles, but like I, I go through stages after traumatic events where I just like won't remember your brain a dream. Will intentionally stay asleep until it's out of REM. Yeah, basically. like I, I feel like I'm like suppressing dreams until the point where I'm like okay to dream again and not dream of like specific people or situations. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty weird. I don't know. No, that's interesting because I um I had an incident over the summer that was pretty massively traumatic mm-hmm. and I ended up in the hospital and I don't think I had a single dream until maybe the fifth or sixth week that I was in the hospital. Right. And then I've had like pretty recurrent like PTSD dreams since. Yeah. But there was a good like four or five weeks at least that I I was sleeping. Mm-hmm. I knew I was sleeping, but I didn't remember any dreams. It was like I would close my eyes and then they would open again in the morning. It's pretty bonkers, hey? It's yeah. a really disconcerting feeling, especially yeah. when you go from, like, I feel like kind of the happier you are, the more you dream. Were you on any SSRIs or anything? Um, I think they had just restarted them, yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. That is, that can affect your dream cycle. Yeah. A friend of mine is just getting off of his SSRIs, and he dreamt for the first time in four years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I think I... It was probably two months prior to this incident that I had started taking them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, yeah, it was sort of the earlier stages, but um, I had still been dreaming up until that point, yeah. from what I remember, and, like, weird dreams, too. Yeah. I had some, like, weird, vivid dreams in the beginning, but then, yeah, nothing. It Yeah, I find... Like, the first bit after, like, said traumatic events, Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be, like, the craziest, vivid, most lucid dreams. And then it'll just hit this point where I'm, like, I don't want to dream anymore. Yeah. Just because, like, I don't want to, like, relive this shit over and over again. So it's, like, almost better. But then, like, I feel like after I'm done, like, coping a little bit more, then I hit this point where I'm, like, 
the like the first thing I dream kind of I'm like okay like it must be a little bit better now things must be starting to sort themselves out yeah I'm super into like Freud and how he talks about like the like dreams your subconscious trying to like come forth Mm. and like show you different things and I'm like okay like that that must have some merit to it I think the dreams are for like both memory and also processing yeah totally and so like I'm like super into that now being like I I can like lucid dream sometimes and so whenever that happens I'm like cool okay like yeah. Time to work through my shit. And then sometimes it gets, like, really bad, and I'm like, okay, like, please wake up. <laughs> yeah, maybe no more. I think yeah. I need a break from this. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, because the one thing that didn't go away related to dreaming for me, even mm-hmm. during this four- or five-week period, was, um, you know when you're first falling asleep, and sometimes you wake up because it feels like you're falling? Yeah. Like, you'll sort of, like, start to go into a dream, but it's like you fall off of something. Yeah. And it wakes you up. That never went away. Really? That increased almost tenfold. Really? Yeah, and it hasn't gone away. It's one of those things that I have those dreams probably. I went from having them like, you know, maybe once a month, once every few months, to like I probably get them three or four times a week now. Yeah. Um, and at first it was like usually a couple of times a night. So, yeah. Dang. Yeah. Just as I was starting to fall asleep, I would wake straight back up. But yeah. then nothing. No dreams after that. Wow. Yeah. Huh. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I experienced that, like, actually, like, I think two nights ago, I was, like, to lucid dream, I'll just, like, lay in my bed, like, flat and just, like, focus on my breath. And then after, like, 20 minutes, you'll typically, like, fall asleep. But mm-hmm. I laid in bed. And I'd been having a few, like traumatic dreams the night like like the nights prior and Mm -hmm. I ended up like not sleeping really I think I slept for like two hours or something but I'm just like laying in bed and just like you basically to like lucid dream you just like lay in bed and just don't move like your body does things to like try to make you move to make sure it's awake so like your first reaction is like roll over yeah and then after you kind of break through that it's like just itch something like you're, you're kind of like going to more micro micro scales and so it goes from like roll over and then if you don't roll over for a while, then you're like, you get really, really itchy. Yeah. And, and I have, I have like pretty, not like bad psoriasis, but like my, I have like really dry skin and I'm like, holy shit, this is like the itchiest I've ever been. I get eczema and I have the exact same thing. Oh it's the God. itching that gets to me every time. Yeah. I always break. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I like broke through both of them and then I ended up laying there for like, like three hours just like staring at my roof like fuck please god oh my god just go like fall asleep please and then at this point where i was just like just felt like i was falling and i was like holy like i like kind of got up and i was like whoa what just happened like i don't really have those often but when i do i'm like what the yeah. fuck was that like holy that was random someone told me once that it was your body trying to fall asleep too quickly <laughs> yeah i don't know if that's true or not that would be cool. Yeah. So yeah. it's a literal falling sensation. <laughs> that would be cool to fall asleep quickly. Yeah. I usually don't. Insomnia. Yeah. So <laughs> So how often do you sleep? 
And how much do you sleep per sleep? A lot more than I used to. There was a good, I'd say when it was at its worst, I was probably 12 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, It was right after I moved to Kamloops the very first time that I moved here. Right. And for probably all of that year, I would get at worst no sleep. Mm -hmm. And most nights I would usually get like somewhere between like 20 minutes and two hours. Um... And, like, on a really good night, I might get, like, up to four hours. And then probably every, like, two to three weeks, there would be a weekend where I would sleep for probably 80% of the entire weekend. And I would just, like, maybe get up to, like, eat a meal. Yeah. And that was about it. And it would happen probably, yeah, maybe, like, once, sometimes twice a month where I would just, like, sleep through a full like probably like 40 hours with like small wake-up breaks dang yeah so what's what what do you think the difference is both like i mean like like solely like psychologically mentally from obviously that's like a pretty huge move you're moving cities you're like a young child your brain is obviously quite malleable you're that's like mm. a huge like you're you'd be just hitting puberty at that point kind of yeah and on top of that i am on the autism spectrum so right. change in general for me was just hugely traumatic mm-hmm. change of any kind really tended to be a big trigger point for me so then moving from a small town because i i grew up on bowen island so it was this tiny community that i had known my whole life and that was it that was my family i didn't really see my parents much growing up because they both worked, and so I, all of my ties were within the community. Yeah. So then to sort of be in that really awful sort of transitional stage of life already, and then to kind of be uprooted and put in this city where I didn't know anyone, it was a huge, <laughs> I don't even have a word for it. Yeah. No, you're getting thrown into like a completely new situation with... Yeah, as like a kid, like yeah, with no, I I didn't really feel like I had that much of a relationship with my parents at that point because they weren't necessarily the people who raised me. Mm-hmm. So suddenly I was with my parents all the time. My mom wasn't working when we first moved here, so she was just there for the first time that I could really remember. She was there all the time, right, in this house, and no one else that I really knew. Um, so yeah, it was traumatic, to say the least. Yeah. And how was that, having your mom around a little bit more? It was really hard. Yeah? It was really hard for me to accept her being there suddenly. Um, because it kind of felt like every time that I had ever needed her before that point, she had never been there. Mm-hmm. And she was there occasionally, but... She wasn't someone I felt I could rely on or reach out to in any way because we didn't really have, she wasn't that person. That person was my friend or my friend's parents. Right. And they were all back home. And I think my mom tried and I think she kind of tried to make up for it in a lot of ways. But at that point, it's also that like awful stage of like being 12 years old and going through puberty and wanting to push your parents away to begin with. Yeah. And then when you don't really have that relationship with them, I think there was just a lot of silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're kind of seeking your individuality. and mm-hmm. Or you're supposed to be, but that's all I had ever known. Yeah. So it was harder to navigate. It was like suddenly she... I felt this actually more when I got older. As I've grown up and gotten a lot older, and as an adult, even this past year with this other traumatic experience I went through, mm-hmm. suddenly my mom was trying to reach out to me and be helpful, and she was trying to be supportive. And for me... I found that really difficult because, and part of it was like this anger that I had with her because she wasn't there when I needed her as a kid a lot of the time. Yeah. So I didn't know how to accept help as an adult because she wasn't the person I knew how to talk to. And there was a little bit of that bitterness of like, where were you? Yeah. Why are you here now? Yeah. Now I don't necessarily need you the same way. Like I needed you then. So where were you? Right. So I don't know. It's, yeah. it's always different and it's, I've always had a lot of respect for my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a very tough lady. She's been through a hell to say the least. So I've always had a lot of respect for her and I do love her. She's yeah. my mom. I love her. And we do have a really good relationship now in most areas. But even like after working on that relationship for probably the past five years, I've put a lot of work into that even this past year it still gets hard when yeah. things come up. So I don't know. I like to think that that gets easier. <laughs> it's getting a little bit easier. I think it does. I think I, I was like really similar as a kid. I never really had, like I lived with my dad from when I was probably like 12 to 18, like 11 to 18, kind of in that range. Um, I really talked to my mom during that time. Actually, like didn't talk to my mom at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like always just like, I, I just hit this wall, like, the, like this weird level where I was just like a crazy stoic and I just like wouldn't talk about emotions or anything. And I was like a pretty like, like joyful kid. Um, I mean, I'd get, like, sad sometimes and stuff, but I was always, like, at relatively the same level, whether I was, like, sad, depressed, anxious, happy. I was always, like, at the same level in public. And it it was, like, really difficult to talk about feelings with anyone because I never, like, my dad and I were never, like, at that level, really, where we could, like, talk about stuff. And even now, like, a few weeks ago, we, we FaceTimed, and he was like, hey, what's wrong? And I'm like, no, nothing. He was like, no, like, come on, buddy, what's wrong? And I'm like, no, like, seriously, nothing. And he was like, oh, come on. Like, you got to start, like, opening up more. And I'm like, I, like I've, I'm, I'm like, a t- like a hugely open human being now. Like, I I understand that I never was before. Mm-hmm. And be, just be, I never really had anyone to talk to. I never really had anyone there for me, like, a shoulder to cry on or anything. I was, mm-hmm. I had to deal with a lot of my stuff alone. And now I'm, like, open to a fault where I'm like, Yep. <laughs> like, someone's like, hey, man, how you doing? Oh, I'm pretty shitty. And they're like, yep. oh, that's not a response I get often. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I just don't want to lie to you or lie to me. I'm, if I'm it. shitty, I'll tell you I'm shitty. If I'm good, I'm tell you I'm good. But, like, I just don't want to. And he, but, yeah, he was like, yeah, like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. He's like, you're so closed off. Like, you got to wear your heart on your sleeve sometimes. I'm like, I, I do. do. <laughs> you don't even understand how much I do. Like, to a fault. I make people uncomfortable with how open I am now. Oh, I understand that so much, (laughs) though. I think it's way better to be that way. I think it's way better to be open and, like, 
I, I guess like, I feel like you weed people out really easily. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are people who are just like constantly like, yeah, good. Life is awesome. And then I like see people at the gym. They're like, how you doing? I'm like, pretty shitty today. And they're like, oh, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, all this shit. Like I can barely walk. Um, like all this random stuff. And like, I'll kind of like go on a spiel and I'm like a pretty like optimistic nihilist and I'm like, yep. <laughs> we're all just going to die one day. So like, why not do like whatever makes you happy? Just like live it like whatever. And they're like, Oh man, that's so sad. I'm like, no, like <laughs> that makes me happy. About it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like I'm a pretty joyful human being now just in the sense of like, I can be open with anyone and there's not too much stuff that I'm like closed off about. There's not a lot of stuff that I'm like, Oh, like I, I, I don't want to talk about that because it makes me feel sad. I feel like if I talk about something that makes me feel sad, that's like good for me. Yeah. There are things that I have like even in things my room. That you need to process. Yeah, like, exactly. Every emotion is just an emotion. Yeah, totally. Fear is just a mis- fear is just a friend who's misunderstood. Exactly. John Mayer, been super into Continuum Perfect. lately. God, he's so good. What Very a handsome, beautiful, beautiful voice to have. <laughs> um, Very true. Yeah, like I have stuff in my room even that like makes me quite sad to look at, but I'm like, one day it's not going to make me sad. Yeah. And that's like when I'll be like more happy and joyful. And that's a part of it is when you see those things and you feel that emotion, you get to process it. You're working through it. You're feeling it. And when you're not actually accessing that emotion, when you're not feeling it towards that situation, whatever it is, it doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. There is no working through it. You're not processing it. It, it just, just kind starts of builds. To, yeah, it culminates like in your subconscious, and then one day you have this huge blow up that you're like, "I'm a happy person. Yeah. I don't know why I'm so sad." Yeah, or and, it leads to just depression. Yeah, anxiety. Totally. Those are some of those things that sort of started off. I think a lot of the time, those things that you want to just shove down that started off as normal everyday emotions suddenly. Once you start suppressing them, they build. I think that's what comes. I think that's what depression, especially depression. I think anxiety is a little bit more of a different beast. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot about like worrying about the future and like worrying about who you are as a human being and like what you yeah. can accomplish. But I think depression's like a lot about worrying about the past and yeah. like really taking on that stuff and being like, okay, I don't know. Like, what's going on? I don't know what's happened in the past. And, like, allowing all that stuff to affect you. But I think that that, like, slowly builds up. And then I think that when it finally hits, it's, like, this moment when your brain's, like, even if your life's going great, you can go into depression. Because it's, like, oh, absolutely. It's like, hey, you've got a lot of shit to work through. Let's start to work through it now. And that's your body being, like, you need to kind of go from a caterpillar to a cocoon to become a butterfly. And that kind of reminds me of what we were talking about earlier. One thing I was thinking was um, just with the way the conversation started about people's views. But I've noticed people feel like you need to have a reason Mm -hmm. to feel anxious or to feel depressed. Yeah. Have those conditions in general. But... Again, that comes back to that, like, forcing you to try and validate and justify it. Mm-hmm. And that sort of goes into it as well. It's like, well, you can't be depressed because you have a good life. Yeah. <laughs> because you're this and that. You should be happy. That becomes, like, a really, like, 
fucked up thing of how we look into other people's lives of being like fucked up to say the least totally you're like oh no this person's like you're like this is a gorgeous human being that's smart and funny and has a lot of friends there's no reason they should be depressed where in reality it's like there's so many things underlying that Mm -hmm. like slowly feed into that Mm -hmm. and hearing that is like the worst thing in the world hearing that you should be okay hearing like it's fine. Just, like, be better. Like, you're fine. Don't worry about it. That that hurts a lot more than, like, it's okay. It's yeah. okay to not be okay. That yeah. is so much better to hear than, like, you're fine, man. Just, like, you're good. Just keep yeah. doing you. Like, you're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. You have all these so things that I don't have. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, yes, I am aware that there are all these amazing things in my life. But you you can't change your mind. You can't, yeah. like... You can't just be like, yeah, totally. Yeah. That's right. I am this. I am that. Those things help. Mm-hmm. But you really have to like dig into like why why you're feeling this way. Because there's a reason. There like has to be a reason for it, whether you're well, lacking yeah, in certain aspects of like friends, family, different personality aspects, like neurotransmitters. Yeah, totally. Oh my god, dude, Montoya. <laughs> what a homie. <laughs> Oh, and that's just it. Like, sometimes there really is no reason for it other than some brains don't produce enough of the right chemicals. Yeah. Sometimes that is the answer. Totally. And your brain changes day to day. Like, mm-hmm. one day there can just be, like, a click, just a snap, and you're like... Yeah. All right. Now I don't feel good. Yep. That's totally happened in the past. Where like, I'll be like, good, good, good. Even, like, even going, like, good days, bad days, where you'll have... Something traumatic happened, you'll have, like, bad day, bad day, bad day. And then, like, a month later, you'll have, like, one good day. And then the next, like, three just bad days. Mm-hmm. And then one more good day. And then you go two weeks without a good day. And then finally, and it just gets, like, you get a little bit better day by day. And I think that's what it comes down to is not, like, artificially jumping out of it. Mm-hmm. And I I mean, like, I, I understand, um, like, using drugs to, like, increase dopamine and like SSRIs and mm-hmm. Moabs and stuff. Not Moabs, that's a bomb. <laughs> uh, monobene oxidase inhibitors and stuff. I think those are like really, really good, but at the same time I feel like people really need to feel emotions and yeah. like go and see a therapist. That's like always I, that's my hugest just thing. It. I mean, the whole point of the medication is sort of to get you to a point where you can see the therapist. Yeah. The therapist... That's where you do all of the work. Yeah. That's where you actually start to get better. That's where you learn how to cope, where you learn how to process, where you learn everything. Yeah. That's where you like change your brain. That's where work gets done. Exactly. And like he says with neuroplasticity. Yeah. Like the way that you are going to wire your brain and like they have specific therapies to teach you how to do that. And it's the fact that like I... One thing I talk to a lot of people about and one thing that my therapist talks to me a lot about is the way that she uses the metaphor of like a path. (laughs) So if you walk down the same path over and over and over again, it gets worn in. Yes. Your footsteps, they leave an impact. So you're going to be able to find that path really, really easily. It's Mm -hmm. there. It's not difficult to walk down that path because you've kicked all the rocks out of the way. There aren't any shrubs growing in the middle of it because you've walked on them. Right. 
But then when you're trying to form new thoughts, when you're trying to find a new pattern of thinking and a new way to think about something, it becomes really difficult because you don't have that nice worn path. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so easy to take that path that you've already worn in. And like, I think that really comes into a play in a lot of different, especially mental health issues, like where there's behavioral components. Um, but even just general thought patterns, it's easy to take the thought pattern that you've been thinking forever, even if it's, I hate myself. It's easy to think that because that's how you've wired your brain to think. That's how your brain is going to automatically go. So it's like having this whole, it's so much effort to then do a U-turn, come back and take a new path that you can't actually see yet. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, no, 100%. Uh, the way, like, I visualize it, I use this a lot in, like, meditation when I'm, like, first getting people into meditation when they're mm-hmm. like, oh, I can't meditate, I can't do this. It's like, think of yourself as, like, in, like, a five-feet-tall field of snow. Mm. And you just have to, like, go through this one. You just have to pick a lane and just, like, go through it. It's going to be really hard the first time. And then it gets a little bit easier and a little bit easier until you've got walls beside you and you're just like in a path. Yeah. And it just gets slowly worn down. And I think that's like such a big thing in mental health, especially like when you first talk about something, that's the hardest shit ever. Oh, yeah. There have been so many times where I'm like, no, just don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. And then I'll talk to someone about it and just like, like lose myself in emotion. I'm like, I'll like ball for forever and like. Of course. Just, like, cry to someone and be like, this is how I feel. This sucks. I don't want to do this. And then the next time it's a little bit easier. And the next time you tell your story, it's a little bit easier and easier and easier. And, like, then you get to the point where it's just, like, it's just another path. And then you go back and try another path. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, what really matters is, like, after you become comfortable with one thing, going back and being like, okay, what's what's something else? Like, um, like. King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table kind of have that when they go out and seek for the Holy Grail. They they all leave the castle. They have no idea where the Holy Grail is. Yeah. They all go and they're like, all right, we're going to find this motherfucker. <laughs> and then so they all go out, they leave the castle, and there's forest around them all like everywhere. And they all, each knight goes to the, the part of the forest that looks the darkest to them. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, right? I took that from Jordan Peterson. I'm also, like, the most unoriginal human being alive. I just, like, take things from other people. It's working for you. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. I feel like that's, like, what everyone is, and people (laughs) are, like, afraid to be, like, kind of like a phony, but, like, I'm, like, so content with being a phony. I just take, like, different parts of people's lives that I, like, really like that they do, and I'm like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to use that story. I'm going to use this story. Different archetypes and stuff, like, take things from different books. I'm like... I'm going to mold myself into this, like, person that I like everything about other people. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah, no, so, like, that's, like, one thing is, like, try to do the thing that seems the hardest to you. (laughs) And once you do that thing, once you go to the darkest part of the forest to you, like, your subjective, your subjective (laughs) darkest part of the forest, then going to any other part of the forest is, like, a little less intimidating. Yeah, it's like... Just a okay. little bit. <laughs> yeah, and like you can do it the opposite way, 100%. Go to yeah. the lightest part and then a little bit darker and then mm-hmm. a little bit darker and do things progressively. You don't necessarily have to do things like top down. 
you can do things bottom up. You can do yeah. things the easiest and then a little bit harder, a little bit harder. Or you can do things like, I'm going to go to this workout and fucking kill myself. <laughs> and then I'll do a little bit of an easier workout. And that'll be way better. It'll feel and, like nothing. Yeah, totally. That's like, and like in terms of mental health, that's like such a big thing too. Like mm-hmm. maybe you disclose a little bit more about myself today. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more. Or it's like, I really like the path of like, I'm just going to throw myself out there. And a lot of people aren't going to like it. Yeah. Some people are. And those people that are, those are the people that I love. Those are like the greatest people, people in the world. Those are the people you keep around. Exactly. Those are the ones that become an integral part of your life. Yeah. Like, I met my best friend on a bus in Vancouver. <laughs> he... City bus or like a Greyhound? <laughs> Just a city bus. Nice. Yeah. In North Vancouver, I was on the bus one day coming home from work and I was sitting there. I was eating out of a bag of salad. Just like, you know, a grocery salad. store bag of salad. That's yeah, yeah. what I bought. So I was like eating lettuce. Didn't have a fork. It was fine. So <laughs> this guy looks over at me and he's like, that's weird. <laughs> so then he came and talked to me. He's been one of my best friends for like four or five years now. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, one of my really good friends, his daughter's kind of going through this really weird, like clearly junior high phase. We're like, everyone's starting to wear makeup and yep. get boyfriends. And that, and he's like, she's my little weirdo. She's like amazing. But, and she, like, she's just like, not, not that, not like into that. But I'll, that's okay. <laughs> the floor's really dark. They're, no people, one will notice. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, people aren't going to see wine stains on a dark floor. <laughs> um, yeah, but he's like, yeah, she's like my little weirdo and like super funny and does like all of this like weird quirky stuff but she doesn't feel like good about that she wants to be part of the she feels out of place yeah exactly but i i find those people are like the greatest people ever because absolutely you go from this like when you're younger you feel like really really anxious and like self-conscious but you're like oh i want to be part of the popular kids the cool kids like i had like two friends through high school um one of my best friends now uh, KT, he's on the volleyball team, but like mm-hmm. we kind of like spread apart in high school and he hung out with different guys. I was, I was acquaintances with like everyone. Yeah. I've always been like pretty like social in terms of like, I can just kind of like chameleon into like <laughs> any group that I'm like, Oh, I gotta be friends with you. And like, I can always find similarities with people, but it's very rarely that I'm like very, very drawn to people that I'm yeah. like, all right, we're going to be fucking best friends forever. We're best friends now. Yeah. That's just how it is. Yeah. So I had like hard. two super authentic, really good buddies in high school. And that was always like something weird to me that I was like, oh, I don't like this. Like I, I would like more friends. You always kind of want more. Yeah. But now looking back, I'm like, that was the greatest thing ever. The yeah. fact that I had those two guys were like amazing. Like Bryce and Nick were like two of my greatest friends. And even now I go back home and I'm like, we'll just talk for six hours and it feels like seconds go by. Whereas other people that I know, they don't go and hang out with their high school friends. They like, and that, that's a thing with like his daughters. She's like kind of freaking out about it. And I'm like, no, like embrace how weird you are. Embrace how different you are, how intricate you are. And then other people will find you. And that's something you don't really and realize. Those are your people. Exactly. Like the rest really don't matter. <laughs> you don't you don't want to be a part of that group that you're like you you can't be your authentic self. You don't want to be part of the group where you're like, 
I'm scared to say something because it's out of the norm and I don't want to be judged by it. Mm-hmm. It's good to be with the people that are like, please be fucking weird. Yeah. Please be the weirdest human being that you can be so that we can like find some middle ground and we can be weird together and we can grow together. Oh, yes, exactly. As opposed to like, let's go and talk about girls and sports. <laughs> like I want people that I'm like, hey, do you want to go talk about like social constructs for a little bit? And they're Hell like, yes. they're like, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's go have a few beers and talk about how weird our society is. <laughs> Like, that, I find that, like, so much more fun than, oh, like, yeah. let's go try to, like, grab girls from the bar or something. That's something yeah. I'm like, I, I don't like that anymore. No. Like, I was a first year once and, like, didn't really enjoy it back then. I don't really <laughs> enjoy it You did it because you thought you had to and yeah. you expected to. Yeah, I'm like, I even, like, like, kind of, like, I, like, broke up with my, like, my long-term girlfriend because I was like, mm, yeah. I just want to, like, experience university. And then I was like, this doesn't make me feel good. Like, seeing random people, I'm like, this this is not, like, a good thing for me. Like, mm, okay. This isn't working for me, yeah. so where do I go from here? Yeah, exactly. Now I'm like, okay, I don't need to, like, see random people or go to the bar to try to pick up girls or anything. I'm like, I would rather just have, like, a good conversation with someone. And if it ends there, it ends there. Yeah. If it gets a little bit better, cool. Yeah. But, like, no expectations of, like, some, like, physical intimacy that I'll mm. wake up in the morning and be like, I feel worse about myself than I did yesterday. You don't feel good. Yeah, I'm like, I'm a piece of shit. Fuck. <laughs> I'm the bad guy. Yeah, no, totally. Like, it uh, happens. Fuck. I think everyone's been there at least once where they're like, oh, I'm the asshole in this situation. Totally, yeah. I've been there. Like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. That's, that's okay. That's one thing yeah. I've realized, like, everyone's kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, everyone has done something that they're like, ooh. Yeah. Not a good moment for me. <laughs> Even, like, day-to-day, I'm like, oh, that kind of makes me a piece of shit. Like, oh, I was an asshole right there. Yeah. All right. I feel... Maybe it's time to apologize. <laughs> Maybe it's time to grow a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. How about I don't do that again? Yeah, no, 100%. I feel like that's, like, also this weird, like, mentality thing. There's this stigma on, like, being individual, being yourself, yeah. and, like, saying yeah. no to that kind of stuff. Like, there will be people that are like, hey, man, like... Let's go to the bar and, like, take girl home. Like, I'll go to the bar. I don't want to take anyone home. I just, like, don't enjoy that anymore. No. I've, like, experienced, like, real intimacy and stuff. And I'm, like, I just can't go back. Yeah. Like, it's... Oh, absolutely. I, I would... Com- I mean, I've never done, like, meth or anything, like, any crazy drugs like that. But I, I'm i quite committed to, like, on my deathbed. I'm, like, like hit me up with some heroin. Oh, God, Fentanyl, yes. <laughs> like... Throw me out of a plane so I can go skydiving and Make just like nice and have an IV, and that's like how I'll go out. But like I, very fortunately and unfortunately, started my love life with like seeing a girl that I was like head over heels in love with, and now anything besides that, I'm like, yep, fuck, this, this is, sucks. Yeah, I'm like, this is so dumb. Like, Why this, am I doing this? I'm like, this doesn't make me feel good. The person that I'm doing it with probably doesn't feel good. This isn't going anywhere. Yeah, I'm like, I don't feel like, like, we're not going to do this ever again. It's like, yeah. why do this? It's like, but now when I, like, do find someone like that, I'm like, I almost like, um, oh, jeez, what's the word? Uh, 
not like overanalyzed, but I, sorry, I idealize the relationship and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. This is so cool. It's going to be amazing forever. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've been working on that a lot lately of not idealizing relationships and kind of being more relaxed about stuff and being like, okay. We're just going to see where it goes. Yeah. This is just like cool as it is. Happens, happens. Let's not talk about the future. <laughs> please God. Cause that'll like make me snowball. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, no. And it's it's kind of cool that people are getting to that state where it's like you can just like be yourself and yeah. there'll be people that are similar to you and by being yourself you're going to draw in more people like that you yeah. don't have to you don't have to fit the mold yeah absolutely and i find people appreciate it a lot more when you are authentic and when you are just yourself and like the people who don't like like you said like they're not the people you want in your life all the time yeah they really aren't because like they're gonna find out eventually everyone around you is eventually going to find out how you actually are yeah might as well just put it out there yeah. from the start weed out the ones from the beginning who aren't going to accept that who aren't gonna stick around yeah no 100 percent. people are gonna be like this guy's fucking weird <laughs> then you'll never have to see those people again yeah. you'll never have to see the people that like make you feel bad about being yourself mm-hmm. i think that's like a big thing it's like yeah. just feeling bad Feeling like crazy about being who you are is like a sad thing. See, I have this issue where I bring out the weird in other people. Yeah. So, I don't know. It could be good. could be bad. Hard to say. (laughs) I feel like that's a good thing. Like you, you feel like make people, I feel like it's not necessarily bring out the weird, but. It's like giving them permission to be weird because. At least they're not going to be alone in it. Totally. Inspiring authenticity. You're you're allowing people to be themselves where there's so many people that I hang out with that they're like, what the fuck? Like, they're like, I'm never like this. I'm like, this is like how you are though. Like, yeah. I'm just going to be myself. So you be yourself. We don't have to agree on everything. Like, let's disagree. Let's have like an argument and a discussion. And then like, there's so many times like I'll succeed in arguments. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You're right. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking I about. Was wrong. I'm just like a crazy <laughs> asshole. It's whatever. Like, I'm okay with being wrong. And people are like, that's weird. That's okay, weird. Okay, but when you admit that you're wrong, a lot of the time, people just want to keep arguing with you. Yeah. Because they're like, wait, what do you mean you actually are accepting that? I'm right here. <laughs> like, I'm not done. <laughs> Got more to say. And you're like, yeah, but I already know you're right. Yeah. No, totally. You can tell me, but I'm going to agree with you. I was studying at my friend's place the other night and like all of her roommates came out and we were all like kind of talking and there'd be points where it'd be like, we were talking about like falling in love with your phone. Mm-hmm. I think that's like highly realistic in the future is that like your phone listens to everything. Your phone knows exactly who you are and how you operate. Are you sure there's a movie about that? Her. There? Yeah, yeah. With um, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. My <laughs> boy. So good. <laughs> oh, I watched The Master. Like, Randy Grunman, he's, like, mm-hmm. super into Joaquin Phoenix. So he's just been, like, <laughs> dishing me out. He gives me, like, a flash drive every, like, two or three weeks oh. of just, like, Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix movies and, like, other random stuff. We watched The Wizard of Oz. Like, I don't know. Yes. It's, we're super random. We're just, like, we watched uh, 2001 Space Odyssey. That was really cool. Um, <laughs> but we, like, yeah, so we were talking about that. And, like, I was, like, yeah, I think it's, like, super plausible. And then we started to, like, go over it. And then at some point, I was just, like, completely wrong in some way. And they, like, brought up a few points. And I was like, yeah, okay, good point. Yeah, you're right. 
they're like, what, what else? I'm like, that's all. Yeah. I don't need to, you're right. I don't need to like argue this like arbitrary fact that like, I know that I'm not, even if I'm not right, if I'm not a hundred percent right, I'll typically be like, I can understand your perspective. Exactly. Unless it's like an objective fact, like, mm-hmm. hey, the Eagles won the Super Bowl last year and they beat the Patriots. That's something that I'll be like, hey, motherfucker, let's bing it. <laughs> but like, if it's if it's like an arbitrary thing, I'm like, and like more subjective, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, let's let's agree to disagree. I love having friends that I can disagree with. Oh yeah. I love talking to people and having them be like, I think you're wrong. I'm like, okay, awesome. Yeah. I think you're wrong sometimes and I'll tell you too. <laughs> yep. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. And like a lot of that does tie into a lot of other things where like some things really are as subjective as they are, like a lot of it will come back down to like your beliefs growing up, what you value, yeah, what you have been told to think for one thing, like that ties into a lot of what we a lot of what happens in our world. But, mm. um, I especially find whenever it comes down to values, that's always where people get the most angry, but it's also where they'll have like the most opposing views that are like so parallel to each other. And they get so stuck in these like teeny tiny details mm. of like, really we're arguing basically the same thing with a slight variation, but we have to like fight about the tiny details and like, they'll just destroy each other first of all, until they can get to the point where they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. I can see your perspective. But like, also turns out we have the same common goal. Man, like religion. Mm Mm-hmm. That's like literally what religion is. Pretty much the entire thing. (laughs) Every, every single religion is so similar. It's basically just like, I really, really like, I, I mean, I read, um, like the Kama Sutra lately, which nice. I, to- which I totally thought was going to be this crazy sex book. And then it turns out to be this like, mostly about breathing, not okay. breathing, but just like Eastern philosophy on love. Like that's what Kama is. There's like Dhamma, Artha and Kama. Mm-hmm. And there's like this fourth, like enlightenment and like Dharma is more, or sorry, Dartha is, um, like a spiritual enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Artha is like a materialistic enlightenment. Kama is like a like a love enlightenment. So Mm -hmm. when you've realized all of those things, then you kind of hit this like fourth enlightenment that you like attain enlightenment. Um, Yeah, I totally thought it was going to be like, because I've always heard like, oh yeah, it's this like crazy sex book. And then there's like one chapter on like eight positions that are like (laughs) very common knowledge. And like, I feel cheated. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit cheated. A little bit. But it was like the coolest book ever because it talked a lot about that ties into a lot of like because you've talked quite a bit about like meditation and things mm-hmm. like that like a lot of that ties into that and it's that like they're very what's the word really that's just what it's talking about is like hmm, think about it yeah think about these things that's like the coolest part of it is like it talks about like ways of seduction and even like how to seduce someone else's wife and how to seduce interesting yeah it's nuts but then like it always has these weird like two sentence disclaimers <laughs> where it's like Maybe we've talked about this. this but don't do it i just want you we to like understand you do it yeah but here's how you could do it exactly it's like understand how to not understand like not do. not so that you can yeah just so that you would know how yeah but like 
the Kama Sutra talks a lot about, there's actually one part that's like, it really, it made me feel quite sick. It mm-hmm. was um, just because of like the culture I've like been raised in. Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about how you're supposed to like seduce a woman and it's basically like, yeah, like rub her privates and stuff. And then if she's like a desirable good girl, then she's supposed to like say no. And she's supposed to like be like, no, no, no. And you're basically supposed to like keep going until she like gives into the like the flame of passion. Yeah, I can see why you would have such a big issue with that. That's horrifying. And I kind of like I like put it down for a little bit. Like I'll I'll always read in like uh, I like always read an old maid. I'll just sit there for hours mm-hmm. and just like read, and I'll go through like reading and people watching consistently. Yeah. And then old I, maid is a good place for that. Yeah, totally. I love just like putting my book down and like having people like come up to me randomly and be like, mm-hmm. "Hey, how's it going, man?" And like, yeah. "Oh, I'm pretty good." And like having cool conversations, but like. It was this really, really weird feeling where I was like, okay, that is like, that's a social, cultural thing for like people who are in that culture. Mm -hmm. But for our culture, it's the opposite. Like fucking no means no. Like, and that's something that I see should be consistent through all cultures. Mm -hmm. But the fact that that's based on like a historical book of like a thousand chapters. And that's just is that like even in our culture, like. Not that long ago, that also would have been acceptable. Yeah. Oh, totally. That's it's like it's really a recent development. Then they're like, oh yeah, maybe don't do that. Yeah, that's just becoming a thing of like, okay, this is more than like a sack of meat. Mm-hmm. This is a human being. If someone were yeah. to, if you were to say no, you would mean no. Mm-hmm. So let's take that for let's not take this that for granted. Person actually matters and can think for themselves. Yeah. A concept. Your. Your, like, small-time pleasure does not satisfy the lifelong psychological damage that you're about to instill on this human being. Exactly. So that, that really fucked me up. There, there was, like, about a, there were, there were a few days where I, like, didn't really read it, where I was, like, You felt needed to pretty, take a mental health break. I, <laughs> I felt gross. I was, yeah. like, uh, I don't, I don't like what, what just happened. I don't like what, I don't like that philosophy. No. But um, back onto religion and how, like, parallel ideas being disagreed upon because they're one degree to the right as mm-hmm. opposed to being exactly online. I think that, like, there's so many religions. Basically, all religions preach be good to other people. Yeah. Love other people. The universal language is love. Everyone can speak love. This That dog, where's Bentley? Oh, he's around here somewhere. <laughs> but, like, if I... If I love Bentley, Bentley's going to understand that. Bentley's not going to understand if I speak English to him. No. Just like so many other people from other languages. Like if I dance, if I sing, if I do so many loving actions with someone, they'll understand it. But that and that's but they're not going to understand English. That's And that's the same with emotions. It's the same way that facial expressions to express emotions. Yeah, absolutely. Are universal. Among every culture. Yeah. It's all the same. Like, as far as you could go to anywhere in the world and your facial expression, if you're happy, if you're sad, if you're grieving, if you're afraid, surprised, people can recognize that in your face, even if they don't understand what you're saying out loud. Yeah. I feel like emotions are like the fuck off Mm -hmm. of language where it's like (laughs) everyone can understand like facial expressions and like how your body language portrays emotion in the exact same way that if Mm -hmm. I go to... Mexico, and if I tell someone 
to fuck off. Yep. They're going to know exactly what I'm saying. Yep. <laughs> if I go anywhere in the world, I'm like, oi, fuck off. Yep. They're like, okay, I know what this All guy's right. talking about. <laughs> Same way if I have a frown on, if I'm crying, it probably means sad. Yeah. And then, like, you can even see, like, happy tears. Mm-hmm. Like, I've I've had that problem, like, in relationships where, like, I'll cry of happiness. And they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, no, I'm just, like, really I'm just happy. I'm so happy right I don't know. Now. I don't know why I'm crying. I don't want to cry. I'm really happy right now, though. Or, hey, this commercial's really cute. Now I'm crying. That happens Sometimes a lot. Sometimes that happens. I, anytime I talk to a pregnant woman, they're like... Every time. They're like, I, they're like man, I saw this commercial about dogs yesterday and just bawled. You know what I'm it like, was from my mom? That's beautiful. The Royale kittens, those white fluffy kittens. Oh, Every time man. they were on screen, she oh. would sob when she was pregnant. Very oh. <laughs> yep. It's a good toilet paper, too. Yeah, there you go. Royale. Sponsor. <laughs> sponsor us. Hoping for a sponsorship yeah. here. <laughs> and a shout out to our sponsors. <laughs> yeah, no, like 100%. That's Hormones are something that I find oh, like yeah. crazy. I think that's so, so cool. They're like, yeah. you can be like a different person than you are. And like sometimes it makes me like really sad because people go through like hormone deficiencies and stuff and like an over supplementation of hormones that they're like, they change people and oh, they yeah. like they change personalities and, like, those people think that they're crazy, but it's, like, no, you're okay. You're just, like, who you are, and, like, people are going to love you for that. Just, like, find the people that will understand you through that and love you through that and, like, be with those people. But, like, you're not crazy. You're fine. You're who you are. You're never going to be different. So don't try to make yourself different. Don't try to fight it. Mm-hmm. Just be who you are. Like, you're an amazing human being. Just fucking love yourself. I think that's the way it is with me everything it's all about really finding the right people who are going to support you and are going to love you whatever is going on because there are some things like there are certain things that certain people they're not going to be able to deal with those aren't your people for that situation maybe they're an okay acquaintance yeah but maybe they're not your core group of people totally there are people that like when things get tough you really realize when things are both, like, really, really good and really, really bad, you realize yeah. who the people that you really want to surround yourself are. Yeah. Because, like, the people that you want to surround yourself with are the people that are going to be there when it's really, really good. And you're like, yeah, life's amazing. And they're like, yeah, I'm here for you. are going to celebrate with you. And then when it's really bad. There. Yeah, exactly. And then when it's really bad, it's like, I'm here for you. Let's figure this out. Let's Let's do this. Let's talk. Let's... Like, cry on my shoulder. Those are the people that you're like, yeah, I want to be with you always. I think one thing that I didn't really truly understand the value of until pretty recently is, like, how how meaningful it is to have someone just physically be there. Yeah. I even over the summer when I was in the hospital, I my, my best friend who I met on the bus, him and his girlfriend drove up from the coast twice while I was in the hospital mm. to just spend the weekend with me sitting in a hospital. He hates hospitals. They're his <laughs> least favorite place in the world, but he came and he sat and he did puzzles with me all weekend. Him and his girlfriend. And those are the greatest people. Exactly. Yeah. And like... It was just that little gesture. It was like literally physically being there in person mm-hmm. made this just phenomenal difference. Yeah. It made all the difference in the world, honestly. And I didn't think, I don't think I really understood the value of that, of just being able to be like, 
I need a hug, <laughs> even yeah. things like that. It's it goes a long way. It really does. There are a lot of different ways to help people that mm-hmm. like you love, and it's not necessarily giving them advice or listening to them or just being there but it's like a mixture of all of them depending Mm -hmm. on like what kind of person it is like I know like there's some people that I know that they're like I just need to talk yeah I some people are like I just need to talk and then some people are like I just need you to talk yeah and I'm like okay I'll listen I'll talk if you need me to I'll like whatever you need I'll I'll be there silently while we watch a movie like anything really. I, I have friends that have like slept over mm-hmm. we'll sleep on like opposite sides of the bed mm-hmm. but they're just like i just need someone like it's just it's just nice to just not be alone sometimes yeah i just need you to be physically just there yeah it's like i just don't want to sleep alone mm-hmm. tonight again it's like okay just like yeah. come sleep over we'll just like hang out yeah watch a surfing video yep and just like just lay there yeah and just like talk a little bit have some pillow talk and then just like all right good night Okay, now I'm asleep. It's fine. So I'll wake up in the morning. I'll make you breakfast. But like, yeah, no, those are like, those are like the greatest friends that Mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about attributing to some social norm of like Mm -hmm. having sex or anything. But it's like, I just want you to be there. I just want someone to be there physically, someone to be there to listen, someone to be there to talk. Yeah. And like understanding that each person has like a different criteria that they need met. And sometimes it's like really hard to find that criteria. Sometimes you're like, I don't know what you need. Well, it's especially hard because the automatic response for most people is they want to give advice. They want to fix the problem. They want to solve it. Right. They want to be like, hey, here's what you should do because this is what I would do. Yeah. But the majority of the time, people aren't looking for advice. That's the last thing that they need because they've thought of every possible solution already. The majority of the time, they just want you to be there and like... They don't want you to hear what they're saying. They want you to hear the emotion behind it. They want you to say, hey, that sounds really hard. It sounds yeah. like you're really hurting right now. I'm here for you. I'm sorry this is happening. I love you. One of those things where it's like, this is what I need. I need this reassurance and I need this connection. I don't yeah. need you to tell me that I have to go to the bank tomorrow to solve this issue. <laughs> like, oh, my God, absolutely. I need you to say, hey, like that sounds really stressful. Yeah. I'm honestly bad at that. I'm like a really, I'm like a very rational person and I'm like, yeah. life is going to be okay. Life's going to be fine. So I'll like tell people that and kind of like talk to them about it. But it's like, it's- I've gotten better at being like, just talk, just talk. And like, you'll figure out what you need. Like, I feel like everyone knows, like, you know, you know, that you know, that you know, mm-hmm. and once you know, you must do, but like, you just have to like understand that you know, you probably know what's going on. Yeah. You probably know how to do things, what to do. And once you do that thing, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. But you just have to like understand that you know. Yeah. And like I'm I'm getting a little bit better at that of being like, okay, like I don't need to be like super philosophical Josh all the time. <laughs> I can just listen for a little bit and yeah. just be there to like listen to you and talk. Yeah. And I think like it's really hard to get to that place where like you're able to be like, oh, I need to take a step back and yeah. just listen. Because I think that I think that we are taught, especially, especially males, like they are taught they need to fix everything. Yeah. They're taught they're like, oh, there's a problem, you solve it. Fixers, handyman. Caretaker in the sense that I will fix it. Yeah. (laughs) 
it's hard to unlearn that. It's hard to unlearn so many of the things that we're taught that just aren't as effective as we think they're going to be. It's not that people are taught these things because we want them to fail in this situation. Like, we're not taught this because we think people don't... I, I don't know how to explain what I'm saying, but, like, it's not taught with malintent. Mm-hmm. It's taught because that's just how it's always been. Yeah. And, like, I think it's slowly getting to a point where we're moving away from that and we're able to acknowledge emotions as they are and that everyone has them and that they need to be acknowledged and validated. But I think that it's a really big learning curve for everyone to be able to be like, oh, you're having an emotion and I need to, like, take a step back and not freak out and be comfortable with the fact that this is your emotion and I'm witnessing it and I don't need to fix it. And... I know I also used to be really, really bad. I was like a major fixer because I wanted to help everyone all the time. And like I could listen, but then I'd be like, but have you tried this? Mm. <laughs> like, and people, people don't want that. And so I, I think the first step for me was asking, what do you need from me right now? What do you want from me in this situation? Would you like me to just sit back and listen? Or would you like me to come up with a solution? Would you like me to be giving you any sort of advice? Do you need advice right now? Or do you want me to just sit here, shut up, listen? I can do that too. And then like, depending on their response, like that's how I would proceed. And like, for me, it started out that way. And then it kind of got easier to determine whether or not someone wanted any sort of interventions to be presented to them. Because over time, you kind of learn people almost never want advice. Almost never. And when they do, they usually ask for it. Yeah. They'll specifically ask for advice if they need it or if they want it. Yeah, totally. But it took me a really long time to learn that. (laughs) And to unlearn that sort of automatic fix-it mentality. Because you don't want someone else to be in pain. So it's very, very difficult to sit with someone else's pain. And to sit with their hurt. And to sit with their big, scary emotions. Especially the sadness especially the anger, especially the hurt and the grief. Those are terrifying because we know how uncomfortable they are for ourselves and we don't want anyone else to be feeling that way. That's that empathy and compassion component of just being human. We want to take that pain and we want to make it go away for them. But you can't take it away and you can't make it go away without sitting with it and processing it. And acknowledging it and just validating it and letting it be what it is and letting them feel it and move through it and process it them just on their own. With you there sometimes, maybe you start the process, but for the most part, you can't take it away. And I think it's really hard to sit with that and to learn to sit with And, like, we sit with our own emotions sometimes, but people have difficulty sitting with their own emotions. So then sitting with someone else's, scary. We're taught not to. I'm not really sure why, because it hasn't been very effective. So hopefully that's something that we're going to learn how to do as we move forward. (laughs) 
it's okay to not be okay. Exactly. Yeah. That was like beautiful. That was so good. That was amazing. Um, yeah, like full circle, just like finish off that. I think that comes like really heavily into like the depression thing that we talked mm-hmm. about at the beginning that it, it's okay to just like listen to someone mm-hmm. and being like in a depressed state, someone's not going to fix you by one conversation. Mm-hmm. Being anxious, someone's not going to fix you by telling you to be okay. But by listening to people, you can really help. You can really help those people just by listening to them about their anxieties and their depressions, their sadness. That's something you can do that you're like, okay, I I feel a little bit better now. I got a little bit off my chest. Mm -hmm. Now I can accept that. And that's not bouncing around in my head anymore. Now that it's out in the open, it's out in the air, I can talk about it more and more and more. And then it goes away after a while. And the other thing is like once it's out there and someone doesn't tell you, hey, you're crazy. When they sit there and they're like, hey, yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I get that this is how you're feeling right now. And I understand. Or I've been there. Or I can see where you're coming from. You're not crazy. (laughs) That is one of those big components of taking that and just shrinking it down just a tiny little bit. Yeah. Because it takes out that extra anxiety of thinking, I'm crazy for thinking this. Yeah, absolutely. That Once that anxiety is gone, then you can actually look at the situation that you are feeling anxious about and be a little more objective. Yeah. A little more accepting. And it doesn't seem quite so scary. Right, yeah, no, 100%. That was beautiful. That was so good. I think, are you good there? Yeah. Yeah, no, that was amazing. Okay, come here, give me a hug. 